lots and lots of spoilers. Hello. Welcome to Max Mike Movies. White people, aren't they great? I mean, aren't they just the best? They are just so neat and clean and just swell. You can find them all over the place. Why would you need any other kind of people, especially in movies? White people can do anything. They can play any role, any race, any color. Why on earth would you want to hire, oh, something crazy, like a person of color to play a person of color? <laughs> Are you a big silly? Are you crazy? Do you hate white people? Is that it? <sighs> Welcome to our latest series, Whitewashing. Wow. Here we're tackling, a, yeah, we're tackling a subject that's a bit more uncomfortable than a lot of our others. Hollywood's long and continuing history of having white actors play characters who are written as people of color. Yes, we're talking about white actors wearing blackface, yellow face, red face, all faces of people who actually exist, have their own faces, and could have been hired for these parts, but weren't. This week's entry is one of the more egregious examples of a white actor playing an Asian character. No, not that one. No, no, not that well, one either. But what about... No, not, not that, that one. You know, this one is just one of the very egregious <laughs> ones, okay? It's 1961's A Majority of One, an admittedly charming film about two unlikely friends who start up an unexpected romance. One is a middle-aged Jewish woman from Brooklyn by way of Russia, played by noted not-a-Jew Rosalind <laughs> Russell. <laughs> and the other is a stately Japanese businessman played by... Oh, God. Played by Alec Guinness. No, I didn't say that wrong. Alec Bloody Knight of the Realm Guinness plays Koichi Asano in well, this movie. Well, it is true from a certain point of view. Shut up! <laughs> oh, boy. Let us check our modern sensibilities at the door and dive right in, shall we? I'm one of your hosts, wearing full Muramochi parade armor, Max Hideyoshi Levine. And over there, dressed rather tastelessly as a Hasidic rabbi, is your other host, Mike Shlomo Luce. Can I have this pork? I know, Shlomo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why not? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll have uh, some bacon-wrapped shrimp. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, Actually, it does yeah. sound pretty good. Uh, Actually, your opening really is good. frighteningly <laughs> accurate, Max. Yeah, I, I know. It took me a while, but yeah, this Ooh. is, we are dealing, and, and this is, I'm sorry, this is going to be a really uncomfortable series in general because yeah. it's really embarrassing for white people, and in I realize this may come as a shock to our longtime viewers who no doubt haven't been able to guess, but Mike and I are both white. Shh, they weren't supposed I to know. know. I know. Try to control your shock, but yes. Although yeah, I'm told and, and, I'm being Jewish, I don't. I don't really count as white, but whatever. And who better to point these things out than white people? <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 We're we're here to save all you ethnic people. Oh, God. Hey, at least we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're not even yeah. Canadian. Now this, is that a race? This this. Mm -hmm. yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, this is a practice that's been going on in Hollywood pretty much since there, as long as there's been a Hollywood. Since but at least they it's were over. Casting, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> the sad part. We're going to have some movies that are annoyingly recent. <laughs> this this ain't over by a long shot. <sighs> but before we get to this, Ooh. let's talk about last week's poll question. Ooh. And that was, who was your favorite Polish prime minister? <sighs> and I believe most people have been going for Vaclav Havik, but uh, what? Um, wrong poll? Sorry. sorry. Once again... <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> We're doing a series on whitewashing. <laughs> right, right, right. So how many polls does it take to... Uh, sorry, I will, no, I will end you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, our last week's question was, is there a movie that you think loses impact by being seen on the small screen? And is there a movie you were really glad you saw in the theater or wish you had seen there? We got a lot of responses on this. Got one from Jamie Kleinert. Uh, her answer is Star Wars, especially the opening of New Hope. Seeing that in the theater in 97, oh, what a child. The, <laughs> uh, the Lord nice. of the Rings series and Jurassic Park. That, those are, I can't argue with any of those. Those are all really uh, good choices. Hmm. From our boy on the West Coast, Dave. Dave. Uh, he puts it, he makes an interesting point. I go to the movie theaters to get out and make the event more special. The, reason, the story is the reason I watch movies. If the movie isn't strong on the small screen, it means the story is too weak. The only exception that comes to mind is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> where one goes to be in the audience. It's an interesting point. I don't know if I entirely agree. I think uh, if a movie is enough of a spectacle, there are plenty of impressive-looking movies with remarkably weak stories that do look good on the big screen. Then when you watch them on TV, you're like, wow, I enjoyed this. The uh, term you're looking for, Max, is splody. Splody, yes. More kabooms. <laughs> yes. Uh, from Matt Reisman, we have the two, there are two that immediately come to mind. A Quiet Place, that's interesting. Uh, there's something about the focus of being in a theater, the inability to pause and escape tension that really benefited this movie. That's a good point about scary movies mm. or, or, any, or thrillers. Seeing them in a theater, you don't have control. You can't, I mean, you can leave the theater, but you can't hit pause or, you know, Take another hit off your bong or whatever. <laughs> yeah, Blair Witch uh, Project one, was mm-hmm. the quietest audience I've ever been. Oh, Lord, yeah. Uh, av- the other is Avatar. It's a pretty Ooh. middling movie, but the spectacle made it engrossing. It does not hold up on a small screen without it. I think that's probably true. I um, wasn't impressed on the large screen, but I've heard <laughs> a lot of people say it looked, they were just blown away by how it looked. And it, yeah, it doesn't work on the small screen. I used the word hate. But let's move on. <laughs> ah, entering the loose family tree, we have <gasps> Val. Yes. Gosh, pretty much any blockbuster film. Yeah, that's what we were just saying. The splody ones. They're made to be seen and heard huge. Specifically, I'd say Star Wars. Yes, I mean Episode Four. To me, it's still just Star Wars. Good for her. Cannot argue with that. Mm. She then thought of another one later, Dances with Wolves. Also impressive on the big screen. Dan Schaefer, right, offers up Lawrence of Arabia. That was going to be one of my choices. It's yeah. a gorgeous long shot of Lawrence riding through toward the camera across the desert. And on the small screen, you can't even see him until halfway through the shot. That is true. <laughs> yeah. I got lucky on that one. Jessica, I actually got to see it in 70, an original 70 print. Yeah. It's actually, I think, yeah, the only way I've seen it. Yeah. That is the best way to see it. Jessica Miller writes, I know it's cheesy, but Titanic was the first movie that came to mind. Seeing the size of the boat, the size of the iceberg on the big screen just made it a bit more real, if you will. That is true. I agree with that because it's 
first of all, I still maintain the best character in the movie is the boat, and it looks much better on the big screen. I don't know. The performance uh, by that iceberg was pretty good. Uh, yeah, but it, it's, it's practically Did he leave a cameo. You cold? Yeah, oh. uh, <laughs> that will cause that you you are now in the negative bumpy bucks region. Uh, yeah. Geneva Brunetti says Moulin Rouge. Aside from mm. the opening and closing, literally incorporating the theater. Nice point. And the theater being so integral visually and plot-wise, it's just a sensory orgy. Ooh. That is best experienced when it's all around you. Yeah, I actually remember oh. the opening of that film, because I don't like musicals in general, and I think I went because Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor, it's like, really? Yeah, sure, what the heck? And Baz Luhrmann, because I like Baz Luhrmann. Mm. Um, sure. Until he did um, the great American novel, uh, Great Gatsby, which was... Oh. Yeah. Mm. He should have taken it farther. If Great Gatsby had been like a rap movie, that would have been awesome. I would have loved that. And I don't yeah, even like rap. But the mm. first like 15, 20 minutes of Moulin Rouge, I was tired. Like I was breathless. <laughs> that thing just like hits you it's and pummels exhausting. you. And it, yeah, it was great. So I totally agree with that. Yep. Yep. And from our foreign contingent, Vince, <laughs> uh, so what fun. movie loses impact outside the movie theater? All of them. I, I'll say I hate 3D, but I do like IMAX for some films. Gravity, for example, was amazing on the super big screen. Ooh, that would be really impressive in IMAX. Hmm. I have it on Blu-ray, but nothing beats the, that opening shot on a large screen with an audience gasping around you. That's an, that is actually a good point that both uh, he and Dave make, is that part of the advantage of going to the theater is simply having the crowd around you. Mm-hmm. I remember watching Jaws, and in one of the jump scares with the shark, feeling the row, the entire row of <laughs> seats I was sitting in, jerk backwards <laughs> as the whole theater slammed back in their seats, going, ah! And every single bolt was sheared off its screw. <laughs> yeah, almost. I was expecting it to snap off. I yeah. Uh, is there any that, uh, have, that you think of that weren't mentioned? Um. Well, a very recent film, 1917, I honestly don't oh. think it would carry. And here's something that I think is kind of interesting about that, in that a lot of the films we're talking about have big things in them, be it space or an iceberg, a giant cruise line. Basically, the film is trying to depict something larger than life. 1917, the larger than life part is really the war itself, so it's almost an abstract thing, but... Seeing the character and all of that around him, some of which over there is fighting and some of which over there is fighting back and stuff, besides the fact that there's literally no cuts in the film, I honestly don't think that you would get the same impact. That being said, yeah, splody movies, because they they want you to feel in that giantness, whatever it is, freaking Cameron and his stupid blue monkey planet, whatever it was, cats, cats, planet of the, um, no, planet of the Smurfs. Yeah, but like That's what's, I, have, I haven't seen it, but my guess is my dinner with Andre doesn't need really need to be on a giant screen. Just you know, well, how about you? Yeah. Now I think most uh, people most people covered them. Uh, I got to say, any of the Merchant Ivory movies I like to see on the big screen just because it the the landscape and the interiors are so much a part of the movie. Is They're practically sh- additional characters. Is he the shipping news? Did he do that one? Uh, Merchant and Ivory? No, that's two people, and, no. and I don't think they did the shipping news. It's not no, a they didn't. No, it's not a. It's not. No, it's not Merchant Ivory. Oh, it's Merchant I, uh, and Ivory. I, th- I thought it was a person. <laughs> yeah, well, his friends call him Merch. Yeah. Oh, can, can you name one? Yeah. Like, no, can no. you name a Merchant, I- Merchant and oh, Ivory sh- film. 
uh, Remains of the Day. Um, I think oh. they did Sense and Sensibility with Ang Lee. Um, oh, those. Uh, Howard Zen would yeah. that be one of them? Yeah, <sighs> I think that might be them, too. They're, yeah, the very, very English, you know, oh, dear, I have dropped the tea cozy. That is the central conflict. Oh, dear, but, something uh, almost yeah. happened. Well, <laughs> shall we move on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, yeah, so, so so thank you thank you again folks for all your great responses that was terrific i hope you keep them coming uh they will be a vast distribution of bumpy bucks to you tons uh except that the server that controls the bumpy bucks nfts has crashed and so they are all worthless now Aww. so until we respin spin up a new server i think that because i'm almost sure that's how it works then uh, <laughs> we'll have to get bumpy on a big then, wheel <laughs> yeah i i I'm in favor of that. Trots um, for tokens. I just made that up. <laughs> it shows. Uh, <laughs> for next week, next week's question, this is more of a location question. Is there a particular country where you really enjoy seeing movies set? You know, which one and why? And is there one you'd like to see show up in more movies? You know, is every you really into movies in Sri Lanka or movies in Dubuque? As God knows, the Dubuque film series is, that's a stunner. Don't you and, mean, uh, we'll talk is there a white country that you like? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll tell you at the, uh, later on where you can post your responses if you haven't already figured that out, which, judging by your responses, you have. But we'll yeah. do it anyway because we enjoy it. Yes. But next, now, we have trivia. The show. There isn't a whole lot about this movie in of, of itself. There's a little about who was in it, and, but anyway. Uh, this film has a couple of other people who, this was their last movie. Oh. Alan Mowbray, who plays Captain Norcross, the police prefect, he, he's one of those guys, if you watch old movies, you'll go, oh, that guy! Mm. You've seen him and everything. He's a, he's, this was his last role in 30 year, a 30-year career. Also, the actress Leota Lorraine, who played the uh, diplomat's wife. Ah, wait. Now, this movie was. Hmm? Wasn't she Mrs. Drysdale? No, she looks like her, but that is not Mrs. Drysdale. Oh I man, I swore it was her. Yeah. Milburn, Milburn. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, this this movie is based on a play by a guy named Leonard Spie uh, Spiegelgrass which opened at the Schubert Theater in New York City on, in 1959, starring Gertrude Berg, who was at least Jewish, and Cedric Hardwick, who was in no way Japanese, and ran for 556 performances. Huh. Uh, two of the actors from this play, uh, Tsuroko Kubayashi, who's Mrs. Mr. Asano's daughter-in-law, and Mae Questel, who is Essie's, Essie, Mrs. Jacoby's friend, Jacoby's friend were in the stage show. They hmm. recreated the roles in, in the play. Uh, by the way, if uh, Essie's voice, Mae Questel's voice, sounds familiar... Oh, yes, I She is... She, yep. You, I'm sure you knew it right away. She was the voice of Betty Boop and Olive Oil in the old Popeye cartoons. I hate to stop you, but uh, Harriet E. McGibbon... Yeah? ...was, in fact, Mrs. Drysdale. Uh, I am caught in a lie. Ha! I hope and my life is alive. That's her last movie because she was still working up till 1980. Oh. But, yeah. Okay. Weird. Cool, Mrs. Drysdale. This movie was actually nominated for an Oscar for, ironically, Best Color Cinematography. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> well, white's a color. 
the this movie this is again how dig how deep they were trying to dig for trivia. This movie depicts the passage to Japan from San Francisco on the ship the SS President Hoover. This was a real ocean liner with that name. It was plying the Pacific routes. However, it ran aground off Taiwan in 1937 and was so damaged it was scrapped in place. It, so it, in 1930, when it was built, it was the largest commercial ship in, U, in the U.S. So Fascinating. Wait, it, it, now, it, yeah. this was a dream or what? Huh? Twilight Zone? No. Or, it was, <laughs> no, like if they were on that ship, but it actually, but the ship actually sunk in 30s. Ooh. Yep. This entire, yes, this whole thing happened in a time warp. Ooh. Uh, when Mrs. Jacoby visits the house of Mr. Asano, the man who answers the door look, should look very familiar. <laughs> Although, is in fact, although he he is not credited and he has no lines in English, it's George Takei. Oh my, oh my. Mr. Sulu of, of Star Trek. At least I'm playing a Japanese captain. Yeah, he um, oh boy. <laughs> uh, some of what I have here is uh, I I had read his his autobiography or one of his several, uh, and he talks about being in this movie and. Uh, he also has been interviewed about this. He said, quote, they hired a Japanese accent language coach and he had some Japanese dialect. So the, the language coach was there to work with Alec Guinness. Alec ignored him completely. What? The coach said, Mr. Gu- <laughs> Mr. Guinness doesn't want to use me. And he used his own slurry idea of what a Japanese accent is. And I noticed he used the same accent in Passage to India when he played an Indian man. Oh, dear. <laughs> Yeah, Mr. He's all in full makeup, and he comes out looking like a reptile. He's supposed to be a warm character, and he played him as cold aristocrat. We have a history of that sort of thing, and it's now being replicated with CGI. We haven't made any progress yet. So George did not enjoy this. He apparently, later other parts of the book, he sort of tried to approach Alec Guinness about, um, maybe you don't want to have your eyes taped like that, and Mr. Guinness, Sir Alec, excuse me, was having none of it. Yeah. A couple of the reviews of the time, a film critic in the New York Times, this is in 1961, called the film a truly heartwarming and entertaining affair, and opined that it was truly satisfying work, largely because the combination of funny and apt dialogue and the dedicated cast gave it dignity largely due to Russell's convincing performance as a self-sufficient Brooklyn dowager, although he thought that Mr. Guinness still appeared to be closer to London than Tokyo. Okay, that's, you know, nicely conceded. This, from Variety, uh, this one is everything that's wrong with the time. Leonard Spiegelgass's brew of schmaltz and sukiyaki is an outstanding film. Russell's Yiddish hexent which is actually spelled H-E-X-C-E-N-T, though at at times sounds like what it is, a Christian imitating a Jew. Not not a Gentile, a Christian, is close close enough to the genuine article. Guinness becomes Japanese through physical (laughs) suggestion and masterful elocution. What the hell were you thinking? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he didn't see the movie. Uh, I gotta say, uh, I would say that in this case, uh, Mr. Guinness was not so much closer to uh, London as maybe Moss Eisley. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he would have been more uh, more appropriate telling some kid he doesn't like you. <laughs> I don't like you. Either. I don't like you either. Yeah. And that's pretty much all the trivia that I could find on it. There's there's not a lot about it except for 
the obvious stuff. Yeah. There's uh there's another Star Trek alum in here. Yeah, oh yes, yes. It was uh the daughter. Yep. Uh Alice. That Madeline was uh, Rue. I, ha- I have that in my notes. Hmm? Sorry? Madeline Rue. Go ahead. She played Marla mm-hmm. MacGyver and from Space Seed, one of the best known Star Trek ep- the original Star Trek episodes. Um, yeah, was she the uh the, the Federation officer that Khan ends up hooking up with? You mean Khan's cheeky poo? Yes, yes she was. Yes. <laughs> um yeah. Actually, it was a very big uh, yeah. part for a guest star, um, and it was yeah very well mem- um, remembered episode. So yeah, two Star Trek alum, the Helmsman and the Khan's Chicky Poo. Uh, that was <laughs> and her, uh, her there is an there is an alumnus of another brilliant television show, and that was Jerry Black, uh, the the son-in-law of Mrs. Jacoby's son-in-law, played by Ray Danton, who is better known as Secret Agent Super Dragon. Oh, was he? From mystery, which we saw on Mystery Science Theater wow. three thousand, he is the star of Secret Agent Super Dragon. Secret Agent, do 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 do, Super Dragon, do 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 do. Up it up it sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're not going to be watching that film in this series, and I think we're going to uh, avoid all the Fu Manchu films too, as as well uh, should you. Yeah, <laughs> but that's yeah. it for trivia. Yeah. That's no, it. no. No budget and no uh, take. Nothing. Nope. Couldn't find anything on that. Oh, that's weird. So, how about the plot? The plot. A Russian-Jewish lady from Brooklyn is Bertha Jacoby, (laughs) new. She she lives a fairly insular life, marred by the loss of her son in World War II and her husband to illness less than four years ago. All she has now is her daughter, Alice, and son-in-law, Jerry, who turn her world upside down by announcing that they are moving to Japan. Son-in-law is with the State Department, and they want her to come with them. Initially unwilling, as she resents the Japanese for the death of her son, she eventually agrees, eventually being in the same scene. <laughs> On the boat over, she meets Mr. Asano, a Japanese businessman, and I use the word Japanese loosely, <laughs> who bears a suspicious resemblance to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, while she is cold to him at first, she finds common ground with this man who also lost his children to the war and has also lost his wife to illness. Over the voyage, they become friends, a friendship which deepens when they meet again in Japan, blossoming into something possibly more to the dismay of Mrs. Jacoby's children and a child and in-law. That's pretty much the, that's pretty much it. Okay. The lowdown. So, Max, when do you... I, yeah. I know you didn't see it when it came out. That would have been impossible. Uh, yes. You saw it before this, though. I'm pretty sure you mentioned it. Yeah, this... This movie is a little awkward for me, as this movie was beloved by my entire family. My mother, my mother showed me. My mother showed me this when I was a kid. She showed it to my sister and me when when Anne was old enough. And uh, we, we, I've seen it several times. I admittedly have not seen it in at least twenty twenty five years. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'd seen it several times, and you you had too. Yes, Channel fifty six. I'm sure. Um, you know, one of those uh, afternoons at the movies. My mom loved the film. And I can see why. Um, there are good things about the film. You know, the, mm. the fact that the two leads are playing things they really shouldn't be playing is a yeah, problem. Yeah, this really... The problem with this movie is the casting director, whoever yeah. did the casting. And apparently, um, Rosalind Russell didn't want the part. She thought no. Gertrude Berg from the play should keep it. And uh, the director insisted, and she actually called up Alec Guinness, and they talked it over. I don't know why she didn't try to talk him out of it. 
but uh, they agreed to do the show. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was. It was. I don't think I've seen it since the seventies. It's strange though. I remember the film really well. Um, mm. Like I like I, the only well the only thing I I had forgotten was how long it is. Um, and I, as a child, I'm amazed I watched it because it's two and a half hours long without ads. And it's so yeah. It must have been. So, you know, there's a lot of talking. Oh dear God, you know, is it's, there? It's uh, a based on a play, so the thing is mostly dialogue. Right, and you can tell. Like, there's certain movies when you watch them, by the way they do the blocking and the fewer sets, the the less camera movement. You sort of like, oh, this was on stage, wasn't it? It's like, yeah, this was one yeah. of those films. We talked about one yep. a while back called The Big Kahuna, which takes place almost entirely in one room. Um, and yeah, it's like this was a play. Oh, yep, it certainly was. So. Um, the opening of the film, though, I don't know if you got the same laugh that I did, but the film opens and there are two sculpted busts of the two main characters. One of them is Mr. Mm-hmm. Jacoby and the other one is Mr. Asano. And the one of Mr. Asano gave me flashbacks to an episode of MASH where they're buying a carving oh. of <laughs> Colonel Potter for his anniversary. Yeah. And it looks on, like you. They, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it looks just like that one guy from mash who was supposed yeah. to be Korean. And I think he was Chinese, but who knows? Um, so I started laughing at that. And then I looked through the credits and it's like, Oh look, there actually is one Japanese person listed in the credits. Yeah. Even though, you know, a good chunk of the film takes place. Well, actually for about a third of the, no, film. I don't think any of it actually takes place <laughs> in Japan. All I could think of is when they get off the boat. Well, we sure are in Japan. Can't believe how much Japan this is. <laughs> To be yeah. fair, I didn't believe it was a boat, and I didn't believe it was New York. So, <laughs> Although I will say, my first thought when they got off the boat was, oh, dear gods, finally, they're off the boat. That was the longest, yeah. dullest trip ever. They're on, yeah, I think about half an hour of the movie takes place on the boat. The movie is two and a half hours long, by the way. Yeah, and they're mean, because they sit there and show you, oh, we're starting off over, they, they take a flight to, to uh, San Francisco, okay, fine, that happens. But then they they show you a map, we left, we're on the, the, the pier, here we are in the boat, and the boat is leaving San Francisco. It's like, okay, cool. The next time you see the boat, it's a quarter of an inch out into the Pacific. And it's like, oh, dear yeah. gods, we're, I, I, four months? How long were they on that boat? God knows. It was, a, it was a, a slow boat to Japan, in effect. Yeah. Uh, just to, yeah. to point something out just for fun, because you mentioned uh, Super Agent Secret Dragon or whatever that kid is. Ray yeah. Danton, <laughs> um, yeah, his first role was in a movie that actually could have been in this series. It was a movie called Chief Crazy Horse. He played as a Native oh, American dear. in that. So I'm willing to oh. bet there are no Native Americans in that film. I didn't see it, uh, but yeah. Yeah. We'll be talking about. Well, some of that I mean, it's not quite as bad as like having Chuck Connors as uh, playing Geronimo <laughs> with his bright blue eyes. Uh, he, he, I'm gonna go with yes, it is. It's just as bad. Um, nah. there's nothing about Ray Danton that looks in any way anything but pasty. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Danton, the home of happiness. Uh, that's a deeper. Um, so my first. Uh, well, let's talk about the performances. My first uh, note yeah. for uh, the wonderful uh, Miss um, Not Jew was <laughs> so much Jewish she's making. Oi! Yeah, <laughs> How did you feel yeah. about the performance? Oh, boy. She was a cartoon. Yeah. She Now, I have got to give props to Rosalind Russell, a nice Irish Catholic girl who probably met a few Jews in her time, but 
I don't doubt grew up, I don't know if she grew up with any. She does the accent okay. It's just she lays it on so thick. That some of this is her, and some of it is the writing, because they use every possible cliche: the insular nature, the suspicion of outsiders, uh, the fact that she tells these long, meandering stories to get to a point, the fact that she's actually a shrewd businesswoman, because God knows we're all so good with money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, hers is kind of annoying. It isn't, I think. The sheer racist train wreck that Alec Guinness is. <laughs> yeah. Because, oh my God, can we talk about the accent? Uh, yeah, well, yes. Well, 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 what about that, uh, that accent, Max? Well, I don't know what part of Japan he's supposed to be from, but it's not one I've ever heard in a movie, TV show, or from a Japanese person. Uh, downtown. <laughs> Yeah, you talk very slowly. It is a, I mean, George Takei described it's a slurry. It's just this mumbling, not opening his mouth all the way, just doing the classic switching up the L's and the R's. <sighs> I mean, one of the jokes, one of the big jokes is the heart. When he's, they're talk, Mrs. Jacoby is saying the hardest word in English is the. And she was of Russian descent, and it's possibly true. The th. Phoneme uh, isn't very common in Russian. It's like Russian has all these phonemes we don't have at all. But he says, no, the most difficult word in English is rari pop. Like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, my sides. Yeah. Yeah, um. yeah. And the background music you get anytime they're in Japan, they don't quite go to. But it's just this side of it. Um, I mean, they don't literally do that. And to be fair, there's nobody with like coolie hats and they're all bent over and bowing all the time. Stuff. It's not well, that's that more, that's bad. Chinese. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They wouldn't have yep. cared. Yeah. Um, True. Uh, but yeah, and um, it just it does really seriously make me question Alec Guinness as an actor. Because even if he had gotten an accent correctly, which he doesn't, uh, whereas I'm willing like you to believe Rosalind Russell might actually have met a Jewish person in her life. A mm. Jewish person in the in the show business? This is a thing that could happen. Um, <laughs> I honestly yeah. don't think Alec Guinness, and, and by his, his actions, according to George Takei, not only hasn't met any Japanese people, he doesn't want to meet Japanese people. Yeah. Um, get that, you do get that feeling. It may be unfair to the late Sir Alec, but that is how it comes across. It's yeah. And and again, I agree. The whole idea is Mr. Asano is supposed to be the character is supposed to be this warm, wise uh, guy, and he's not just the makeup, but the way he carries himself is so rigid and so it. The face is scary. Yeah. The makeup, the the, the way they emphasize the cheekbones. They make it. They do make him look reptilian. Well, he also has, he has this weird smile all the time, which really doesn't yeah. help. Um, oh, I, he maybe he's one of those actors who doesn't like to see their own performances, but he re, in this case he really should have. Um, and I bring when up, you see him in the scenes with the like two other Japanese car- people in the movie, it's even worse. Like yeah. with the with uh, the servant with George Takei or with his daughter in law, who yeah. I, who does I don't think has a name. She's just my, my daughter in law. Well, he throws something at her once. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. His clothes. 
Um, mm. Hey, I'd like to bring up something uh, real quick. So, Max, the opening quote of the film, I know we're talking about the, uh, the uh, performances, but there was an opening quote mm-hmm. that I think is supposed to set the mood. It's supposed to give us an idea of why this play or this movie was written. And it's supposed to be one of those, I don't know, wise sayings that make you go, oh, mm-hmm, and nod your head. Uh-huh. And then keep nodding your head and your brow furrows and you suddenly realize you have no idea <laughs> what the go. heck it means. The quote winning quote of the film, this is but just before we actually get yeah. the action. Quote, any man more right than his neighbors constitutes a majority of one. End quote. Ah, that's highly significant. <laughs> ah, Bach. Oh, Bach. Yep. Did you get that? Not really. I don't think that's really the theme. I mean, I think they come up with the theme in the initially, and one of the themes of this movie, which I think is admirable, especially for the time, yeah. is about prejudice. Yeah. I mean, the movie opens with uh, Mrs. Mrs. Jacoby's friend uh, Essie complaining about that element is moving into the neighborhood, and right. she's talking about black people and brown people. Right. And initially, the son-in-law and the daughter get really huffy about this. It's like, you know, it wasn't that long ago they didn't want Jews here either. It's like, yeah, that's a good point. This actually bookends the film rather nicely, because it ends up being, that comes back a little suddenly, but it does come back. Mm -hmm. I will say, the story of this movie is very nice. I like the story. Uh, I like some of the dialogue is really good. The themes and the ideas are really nice. It's just hard to get past these performances. This is not a movie that has aged well. No, no, it hasn't for and a number it, of reasons. I, but I mean, there's also there's Eddie the houseboy, who is, by the way, played by um, a Hawaiian-born American actor Mark Marno, but who is supposed to be basically number one son <laughs> from Charlie Chan. Oh, oh, and he grunts a yes. lot. Yes. Oh, for... want to watch 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 sumo wrestling? You know. How much and he, he loves, we are Hepcats here in Japan. Yeah. He drinks a lot of Coca-Cola. And, you yeah. know, the whole thing, uh, the, 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 the Japanese fetishizing America. And, yeah, but Eddie, who loves this and wants to be a Hepcat, and what movie does he go see? Hercules Unchained. <laughs> <laughs> you were ripped off, Eddie, I'm just saying. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't even think that was uh, that was Alan Steele. I think maybe. Um, I, yeah, I don't don't even think that was George, that was Steve Reeves anymore. Wasn't even Miles and Miles O'Keefe. Uh, that would come. Up <laughs> yeah, Eddie is. Eddie's a character that you're like, oh, I think I want to like. No, I can't like him. He's horrible. Um, yeah, that's he's, the other thing. He's obnoxious. He's well, the performance is so awful. Yeah, it's I yeah. Mean, he's Asian. I mean, he's he's Pacific Islander, maybe of Asian descent. I don't know. Born in Hawaii, but his performance actually rivals Alec Guinness. His is just more aggressive, but it's ju- the accent is just as bad. It's yeah, it's just as cartoony. Yeah, and you know, I don't. You know, this guy probably talks like, dude, we're gonna go da- gonna go down to La Jolla, hang out for the weekend, man. Yeah, or something. Like, oh, what not. you want to play Japanese? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. You know, um, um. There, there are some... I can't even say they're all Japanese. My guess is it's probably a mix of Chinese, Japanese, Korean, whatever, because Hollywood doesn't care. So there's at least some representation in the movie, but whew, we are sure lucky that they don't have any speaking parts and they don't get credit, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's so, even the things like 
Oh, so many of the tropes when when uh, she's checking out. For some reason, the t- the house that uh, Jerry Black is assigned is basically a westernized house. Right. Obviously, it was for the diplomatic corps. And the bathroom, though, is Japanese. And there's all these lingering shots, which is basically, oh, look, isn't foreign stuff weird? Yeah. Although yeah. I have to admit, I'm sitting there going, that looks like a really cool bathroom. Look at that shower. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, the tub, too. Like, it's a tub you can just sit in. Like, yeah, it's like a mini hot tub. It's oh, so you're nice. supposed to, yeah. But but they're all playing it for. Oh, look, it's got a little stool. Isn't that strange? I mean, be glad they didn't show the toilet. Well, you never. Well, they didn't have toilets before 1975. They didn't exist. Well, in Japan, <laughs> it was a squatting toilet. Oh yeah. Although now. Japan's toilets are apparently better than some hotels because they sing, they heat up, they play music. You can play games with them. Some of them have actually like hand washing sinks on the back so as not to waste any more water. Yeah. Um, Japan became the king of the toilet. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) Um, We see some. You notice. I was going to say, we see some Japanese culture when she goes to Mr. Asano's house. um, Mm. We see a representation of what is somewhat like traditional Japanese living. And it was nice to see that. And the thing that I like about um, Rosalind Russell's character, Mrs. Jacoby, is when she gets there and she's being served drinks and foods. I have to admit, I totally get the part about the sake. She kept, she would drink the tiny little cup of sake and then she would hold it in her hand because she wasn't sure where to put it. And of course, this means fill me up. And that's mm-hmm. what happens. And I got to tell you, that's the best way to drink sake. You just have, oh, I'll just have a little. How many glasses, teeny tiny glasses did you add? 72. <laughs> 72. But she's yeah, watching that- very carefully. She watches what Mr. Asano does. So she's like, I'm yes. in his house. I need to learn to do this his way. She doesn't do what you'd expect, which is the, well, in New York, we do it this way, and I don't know why you're not touching right. the plate, and what is this thing? And and she doesn't do the ugly American of, ew, this looks weird, I'm not going to eat it. She she eats everything she's given. And, and she uh, does I it mean, the way he does. The, yeah, and she, yeah, exactly. She takes her cues entirely from him, and uh, she, she does a decent job. I, I mean, at one point... When he's trying to invite her to stay for dinner and she's trying to decline, and he's saying, you're worried because you think all we eat is raw fish and octopus. And she's like, no, no, kind of. <laughs> it's like, at least she's honest enough about that. Yeah. He's like, we do eat that, but I do like, uh, I can assure you everything has been prepared in the tradition of kosher. It's like, wow, that, that's... Actually, that wouldn't be that hard. No. Because except for uh, shellfish and bottom-dwelling fish, um, a lot of Japanese cuisine would be kosher. They don't eat a lot. I mean, there's not a lot of pork. They would just have to leave out the pork. Well, the fish is fine. Vegetables are fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it depends on how orthodox she is, because, of course, if it wasn't actually overseen by the rabbi, it doesn't count, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I, she didn't seem to be that orthodox. Although she does, well, do the she's re- she does do the Sabbath. She is candles. pretty observant. She does have, and uh, the menorah she has in her apartment isn't just a Hanukkah menorah, it's a temple menorah. That's why it only has seven branches. Oh. So she's pretty devout, and she does, you know, the Shabbos blessing for, for Mr. Asana when he visits. Yeah. Uh, I do have to say, Rosalind Russell, and I'm glad they only make her do this once, does the worst oi I have heard in a long time. <laughs> is it worse than mine? Yes, it is even worse than yours. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I also like the fact that, and maybe this is traditional when she's saying the prayer and she's got like her eyes over her hands that she's whispering it. it So we can't hear it because I, I don't want to hear her Hebrew. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, you do. You whisper the prayer and you do cover your eyes and you do make the, no, no, she did. The ritual was uh, pretty accurate. Yeah. And I even like the way she tries to explain some of the Yiddish terms, like kvelling, which she doesn't say right, but she actually describes it really well. Mm. And Suris, you know, she oversimplifies it, but sure. Now, I, I, I think she's really trying. Rosalind Russell is a terrific actor, and she give, she tries really hard in this. It's just she's playing something she doesn't know how to play. Yeah. She she's doing a character she she can't that she has a lot of trouble doing, and it's so weird because it's like I like the character. It's yeah, just the, the artifice, the outside part is just cringeworthy. Although when she's with Alec Garrett Guinness, it's not so bad. Yeah, honestly, by comparison, <laughs> her performance looks so much more reasonable next to his. And this is Alec friggin' Guinness. This is one of the great actors of the twentieth century. I don't know what was going through his brain when he agreed to do this. Or when he decided he wouldn't listen to a vocal coach. Yes, when he I just mean, thought, I'll, I'll, I'll wing it. I, you know, I, I ate sushi once. I'm sure I can do a Japanese accent. Oh, this will be funny. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know either. And I, I can't... I do like parts of the character of Asano-san because he is a big businessman and he is he does have that lordly air about him but mostly when admittedly Alec Guinness isn't talking um yeah. <laughs> but that mm-hmm. you can also see that lonely side to him that he is a very lonely man and he does really miss his wife and um there's a point where he approaches her actually mostly it's him approaching her because initially yeah. she's like you know you killed my my son I don't want to talk to you and of course it wasn't him and mm-hmm. you get to that point and again, this is one of the many good points about this film, but they get to that point where it's like, look, your government and my government got into a big thing. We just wanted to live our lives. Like the people, like when we saw this in Persepolis, we got to see the people of Iraq, you know, where we never get to see them. We only get to see the military and the government. But it's like, look, we just wanted to live a peaceful life and love each other. That's it. That's all we wanted. And it's like, that's when they can finally come together. So there's parts of Mm -hmm. both characters that are actually pretty cool. There's some great statements on racism for 1961. That was kind of amazing mm. when like the, the when the kids come out and they're like racism is bad of course you know later on it's like racism is bad for other people. <laughs> that yeah that we'll get I want to get to that but and the whole thing about how she opens up to him and at the same time the kids become really suspicious of him. They think oh he's just trying to be friends to get some sort of advantage in yeah. trade negotiations or pod racing or something. <laughs> and, I knew that was coming. Yeah yeah. And um, uh, honest, I, I have to say, her, those kids are jerks. Well, her kids are kind of jerks. Here's the sad part: Jerry starts off as a really good guy because yeah. Jerry is like, you know, I'm doing this. I know I'm moving around, and initially he doesn't want to bring uh, the mother. He didn't want to bring Mrs. Jacoby with them, and rightfully so. He's like, look, she wouldn't know anybody. She wouldn't know the culture. She wouldn't be comfortable. And eventually mm-hmm. his, his wife is like, look, I want her to come. And if she doesn't want to come, I don't want to go. And he's like, okay, let's make it work. And he does. And Jerry mm-hmm. is thinking about his wife and he seems like a good guy. It's just when it comes to this one thing, suddenly, you know, Jerry feels well, it's once he's Once he's caught up in his work, once he's right. caught up and actually doing his job, the job takes over everything. 
Again, right. also very believable. This happens to people a lot. Yeah. And he's and the only breadwinner. Yeah, he mess it. And yeah, they're in another country. And if he screws up, they'll go off a disgrace. And the thing is, if you're in the State Department, you screw up a foreign assignment. It's really hard to get another good one. You you know, you'll end up being posted in in Iowa or some such. Yeah, but he was and, making ten thousand dollars a year in 1961, which is not chicken feed. That ain't chump change right there. So no, it's for the difficult. Most, but hmm? for the most part, I get Jerry. It's like he's very uptight because he's in a very difficult situation. He's got to make a good name for himself. He just got a big promotion. Uh, it's it's a huge trade deal, and so on and so forth. And when he gets pissed off and thinks that Mrs. Jacoby has said something wrong that pissed off. Mr. Asano, to be fair, there is absolutely nothing there to show him that it was not her and that that's mm -hmm. the only connection because he was singled out with Mr. Asano basically saying, yeah, I'm not talking to you people anymore. Um, and he does, he tries to approach Mrs. Jacoby as gently as he can, but he needs the information. He's like, look, my job suddenly, I've been here one day and my job's already at stake. What is going on? What's happening? And, and his wife is like, leave her alone, leave her alone. Yeah, I and gotta finally, say though, as a guy who's supposed to be a diplomat, he's awfully blunt about things with her. Um, and their relationship from both of them is sadly initially really good and then suddenly very bad. Um, yeah, it changes awfully quickly. Which is too bad. I'm, but to the good part of the movie, it helps flush out some more of this racism because Mrs. Jacoby gets over herself and gets over her hatred of the Japanese because her, her son died because of a Japanese attack and starts seeing mm -hmm. Mr. Asano for who he is. And the kids, who have supposedly been open-minded and are all talk, get into a situation where they're confronted with it. In this case, the Jewish mother is now possibly going to be taking up with the Japanese businessman, and now suddenly, oh, well, that's too close for home. We can't have yeah. mother. You know it wouldn't work. And the mother's... I love her expression. You know, again, the artifice is the problem, but I love Rosalind Russell's expression when this, the daughter basically says, you know it would never work, and she looks like at her like, what did you... What language are you just speaking? Yeah, uh -huh. and as she says... she And she calls back to, remember how upset you were when Essie said that about the the bad element, yeah, and it and then just the quote is perfect. It's like it's different when it strikes home. That's yeah. not only really sharp, but that is still true. Yeah, there are a lot of people who can be very open minded in the abstract, and then if their kid brings home someone of a different race or religion, they freak out. Yeah, and if she 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 looks at them and says, "Let me just ask you this: Who's bigoted here?" Yeah. It's like suddenly this movie becomes Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah, and there's th some th really good uh, points. But then you yeah. look over to the right, and there's Alec Guinness, and it's like, ah! <laughs> yeah, it's like, you want to yes, you, you keep company with the Japanese man? Okay, where is he? <laughs> no, no, uh, Mr. Guinness, could you move? I think there's supposed to be a Japanese guy in here somewhere. Most uh, nicely Not, not, not someone who's obviously Lord of the Reptile people. Uh, <laughs> They're coming, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I do have to. That that was one thing I do have to say. I I was, it just as the story, their relationship moves very fast. They move from being friends <laughs> to him thinking about marrying her in like a scene. Considering the rest and of she, the movie moves so slowly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Again, I could see it. It's just that they do, it kind of comes out of left a little out of left field. Yeah, you they're just starting to become friends, and suddenly. 
you know, and and then she, you know, he's like, no, I, you know, would like to accompany you to plays, concerts, and national events. Which, by <laughs> the way, is the most adorable way of asking somebody to go out with you. I always <laughs> wished I had had an opportunity to say that to some woman, or just, would you be interested in accompanying me to plays, concerts, and national events? <laughs> I, I don't know why. It's just so classy, and. Yeah. Uh, you go, and she goes from being, you know, in effect, you know, sh- sh- well, shocked but flattered. And it's like, oh, God, that's ridiculous. By the time she gets home, she's thinking about it. Yeah. And the other you know, thing, she too, goes from this, you know? is she does something that's very good. Uh, again, showing that she is a good actor. She's just not a good Jew. Is when she first meets Mr. Asano, she's sitting on a deck chair and he's two deck chairs over and she accidentally knocks a magazine off her chair. And Mr. Asano gets up and hands it to her and she does not make eye contact with him, which is nope. very telling of somebody who is thinking they're a good person and wanting to be polite, but still can't deal with the fact that there's one of those people over there. And that was really she, well done. However, yep, she nods, she nods. Yep. So it's like I, she still has her manners, but she can't look at him. Right. But we have two problems going on here. One, like you said, she gets over herself very quickly. Two, I don't know what he sees in her. Oh, come on. First off, it's Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell has amazing presence and just looks really cool. Yeah, but it's like, why is he so willing and suddenly interested in her? And as somebody who's as traditionally portrayed as Asano is, why is he so quick to be interested in an American woman. I don't know. I don't That's see That's the point. It. I don't know. It's it's not clear. The closest they come is basically she says that he sees his wife in her. Right. So maybe there were similar qualities, but we're just guessing at that. We don't know. Yeah. We're not really told. I it doesn't that part doesn't bother me quite as much. Some people are just immediately attracted to other people or they find other people really appealing. She's and the fact tall. is she's also in many ways very sweet. As they point out, she's on the boat for like three or four days, and she knows everyone on the boat. <laughs> she's gotten their life history. She, you know, he, you know, the, that couple. He's English. She's American. They met here. He knows their children's. You know, she's very outgoing. Again, this is also a bit of the cliche about you know the yenta, the older Jewish woman. Unfortunately, there's some basis in fact to that. Um, <laughs> We can be really nosy. Hey, and let's check out Yentl. <laughs> we, we, we do like to know what we owe, uh, everything about everybody, but I don't know if that's a Jewish thing or a generational thing. Well, so but, what you're uh, saying is that she's a huge security risk, is what you're saying. Oh, God, but, yeah. It's like you, answering, all those, her... answering all those quizzes on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, no, she, she, she would be the worst person at all to get one of those uh, uh, Ni- Nigerian prince emails. <laughs> He's a very nice man. He was married three times and has six kids, although one of them died. It's very sad. <laughs> yep, yep. That's <laughs> so the thing. She would money. probably go, you know, no, nah, I didn't give him any money. I know he'd just fritter it away. I just don't <laughs> think that's good for him at this point. You know, I'm trying to set him up with this nice lady at the consulate. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Did you have any uh, questions I, or anything you wanted to bring up besides your notes? Because uh, we are getting I did. Point. I did. I did. I had a couple. I had a couple of things. Also, oh, I, I, I just wanted to bring up one thing, where she's talking when Mrs. Jacoby is talking about how she's learned Japanese. The line it still makes me laugh is when she's explaining, and I know how to say "you're welcome," which <laughs> sounds like "don't touch my mustache." Do tashimashi. 
don't touch your mustache. That's it. And it actually does kind of sound like don't touch my mustache. And I laugh every time she says it. I can't help it. But yeah, I did have a couple of questions. Cool. I did too. When we're if looking we at Alec Guinness's performances. What are the stereotypical characteristics that he really leans into, that he just really plays up? The R's and the L's. The Yeah, that's a biggie, the R's and the L's. The, uh, the stoic nature, the... The, Im- the I mean, immovable face, although some of that's probably the uh, the scotch tape holding his eyelid- eyelids back. The, I mean, the whole, like, his lack of expression. I mean, that's, a, a, for me... That's more than enough, really. Yeah, because it's just so egregious. It's just awful. Yeah. How about the you? The speech patterns, really. No, that was pretty much it, the speech patterns. Um, apart from this, that, this rather gaping wound in the movie... Mm-hmm. Is this move? Does this movie feel sincere? I had that question too. Despite yeah. its missteps, does it seem sincere? I think it is. I actually think it's trying. I just yeah. think it's very misguided. Um, it, it's. I mean, you might as well have somebody come out and pledging for equality between whites and blacks, and they're dre- dressed up doing minstrel shows stuff, right? It's just. It, yeah. It's yeah. Okay. We're talking about all races getting along and stuff, but we're not going to have any of them that actually get to talk. <laughs> it's just weird. So it's... I, yeah. I think they meant well. It was just so... Such a stumble in that those two major roles that it's just like, okay, uh, whatever. You, and it's like... I, and the sad thing is, is at the time, it probably didn't bother people. Like, maybe people did mm. see something good in this and ignored the fact that Alec Guinness can't even say the word Japan, uh, at least not mm. with a straight face. And Rosalind Russell has probably never been to a kosher deli. You know, I don't know. But <laughs> how about you? Do you think so? Yeah, I think the basic story is actually a good story. I think it, I think the message in the movie... Is nice. I think the fact that the way it ends, which is with this possibility that they may eventually develop a romance, mm-hmm. I think that that works. Again, I just think it's a question of the casting, yeah. and the casting is a major part. Yeah, I had one last cool. one uh, before we have to yeah. wrap this up. If with this was remade today, besides a huge rewrite, who would we cast? My first choice oh, was Ken Watanabe. Ken Watanabe would Ooh. be great as a Sano-san. He'd be good. I was thinking, like, I was trying to think of if you recast in 1961, no. I'd like to see Toshiro Mifune. Yeah, it wouldn't be Does great. Does he have any warmth? Jacobi-san! <laughs> <laughs> Whole movie would be yelling. Everyone would be terrified of him. It would be awesome! He could hardly is... hold his own with her. Who would you pick for mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Jacoby? That's a tough one. Oh, that yeah, that's tough. Uh, honestly, I I don't know. Mm. I couldn't I, tell you. Also, I'd just like to point out, I'm pretty sure nobody in this film is Jewish. Like the kids, I don't think are uh, Danton. I, I don't. don't so. I don't think so. I really don't think either of the kids were Jewish. Yeah. Oh, I, excuse me. Essie is. Oh, right. uh, May Ketzel. She yeah, May Ketzel is is Jewish and is in fact New York Jewish. She's from, really? She's from New York? Yeah, I hard, couldn't tell. Hard to believe with that accent, yeah. Oh, Popeye! Yeah, it's actually really <laughs> fun to see the woman who's done that. She actually was doing that voice, I think, up into the 80s. Like, if you Wasn't saw, she like, also in, uh, Aunt Bluebell for Scott Towles or something? I don't know. Uh, she might have been. She, 
But yeah, she did the voice sh- of Betty Boop in Roger Rabbit. Roger, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, crazy. Uh, but we got to get to the end because uh, yes, I'm out of my do. notes and it's that time. Yep, it is. The Roundup. So, Max. So, Mike. Ha! <laughs> ha! Damn. Besides, uh-huh. I can edit it the way I want to. But, Max, so you'd seen this as a kid. <laughs> Haven't seen it I in, in decades. I Long win! Yeah. Um, what did you think, now looking at it through a, a slightly more mature and a slightly more, hopefully, broad-minded lens? Although, I, you were always pretty broad-minded, but... Mm. Well, it's it's complicated. Part of me still really likes this movie. I, I do. It's so sweet, and the message is nice. And even even... Though it's so over the top, I like Rosalind Russell trying so hard to be Jewish. <laughs> she just tries so hard. And her, I believe, you know, we were saying Alec Guinness wouldn't listen to the dialect coach and didn't, probably didn't, he actually apparently went to Japan for a while to try to study the culture. Didn't apparently work. it didn't work. And, nope. uh, but I believe she actually put work into the dialect, into the accent, into the culture because I think she she did that really well. It's not her fault she can't pronounce Yiddish that well. <laughs> but uh, it's the scenes with Alec Guinness take me out of the movie. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, the stuff when it's just them, apart from the fact that honestly, a lot of the time I just want to slap her kids because they really get on my nerves. Yeah. Again, that's not not necessarily bad. That's kind of what they're supposed to do. Right. Uh, I still really enjoy it, but. You have to take it with such a grain of salt, and you cannot. It's. I can't just gloss over what the the the, the thing with Alec Guinness. It, it's it's so insulting. If you've ever even, never mind met. If you've ever seen a Japanese person, this is an ins, it's incredibly insulting. And it, it's really hard to get around that now. So, uh, I don't know. I would still recommend seeing this movie, but brace yourself. And be aware. Think about this. Look at what he's. Look at the, the things he's exaggerating. Look what's he playing up. Look what. This is what people people thought you had to do to play Japanese. I don't know. It, it, it's difficult because that movie was a real part of my childhood, and it's hard to look at it and see such damning things about it. And they are there. We're not making this up. People haven't made this up. It's absolutely true. What about you? Such a grain of salt you have to swallow to watch this movie. See? Wow, I'm only that's sl- bad. <laughs> only slightly less successful than Russell and Russell. <laughs> and just because it is so easy to do and so insulting, I will not do the R&L thing because it's just awful. Mm. I actually really love Japanese culture, so it's especially hard to watch this and just, nope, wrong, uh, no, wrong, uh, wrong, mm. oh, and wrong. Um, yeah. I'm in the same boat as you. The one thing I will say about the film as a film is it is slow. It is and very I, slow. And the thing is, is that there's parts of this film that I wish were longer. I actually wish that their relationship built a little bit more slowly because yeah. it's yeah. a little sudden. And I like what they're trying to do. Yep. They're basically trying to take two cultures that are very disparate and showing that there's common ground and even a potential for love. We talked about the fact that the film is actually trying to make an anti-racism point. It's just doing it so badly that it's almost <laughs> lost in a wash of hatred. I don't know. Mm. That's not hatred. It's just... No. 
utter just a tone, tone deafness. deafness. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that this film, as it stands, is something I can recommend only because of its pacing. Today's world is not going to sit there and watch a film that's basically a play. They need more things happening. I mean, maybe if there had been a car chase or, you know, a, a bank heist or something, that would have <laughs> livened it up. Um, I love the idea of this. Me too, as a kid, I watched this. Why? I don't know. It is so not a film that yeah. kids would watch. But like you, I watched, it with, I watched it with my mother. Um, but the performances, I mean, I don't, most of what I know from Jewish culture comes from, oh, Max. Uh, and even <laughs> I could tell Rosalind Russell, you know, doesn't, I don't even think she's had a bagel, you know, I, <laughs> or if she did, it had bacon in it. Uh, and uh, spoiler, don't do that. No, seriously. <laughs> so if it's a film that you've loved or have fond memories of, just be aware of what you're watching. I don't know how you can't be. <laughs> It's almost like as if, like, literally a Wookiee walked into the screen <laughs> and you didn't see the Wookiee. I don't know how that yeah. would work. How would you not notice Alec Guinness's horrible performance? Um, it's not as bad as some of the other ones we'll see in this series. But oh, so I yeah. guess if you're a modern audience, the pacing, I think, is going to throw you off. The racism is terrible, but it's trying to make a good point, And I think it does have a nice story and it is trying to be sincere. It's just very, very bad at it. Um, yeah, but Max, yeah. we have a poll question. If you would go over that and how do. people can contact us, that'd be great. I would. Yeah. Again, this week's question is: Is there a particular country where you really enjoy seeing movies set? Which one and why? And is there a country you'd like to see more movies set in? And of course, you can answer this on uh, one of the social medias we have on uh, Facebook or the Twitter at uh, Max Mike Movies. You can also make leave a comment. On our website, maxmikemovies.com, where all of our back shows are, and our front shows, for that matter. Uh, you can email us at us at maxmikemovies.com. And, uh, as usual, you, of course, can listen to us on the podcast app of your choice, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many others. Some parts may be met out of chicken, not available in every state. Sorry, Tennessee. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Take a breath. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. But, uh, so... What uh, what triumph of racial awareness are we going to be watching next week, Mike? Triumph of the bread. Uh, <laughs> triumph you. of the white bread. <laughs> thank you for laying bread into your life. Um, <laughs> so we're going to stick with part of the theme. I mean, the, the main part, which, of course, is uh, whitewashing. Uh, we're going to stick with uh, white people being cast in Asian roles. Um, it's going to be a little different, though, this time around, because it's not be going to be, thankfully, uh, white people trying to portray Asian people. It's just, hey, wasn't this originally set or written by Asian people, and now there's no Asian yeah. people in it? So this and is luckily like it's whitewashing the, the character itself. And the entire story, yeah. Um, yeah. Luckily, this, was, this didn't happen anywhere near the present day. It's at least uh, two or three years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This, this is a little film called Ghost in the Shell. Um, the live action version. Yeah, because the cartoons are great. And of course, they are, in fact, made by Japanese people. Uh, but this is a film that was originally a Japanese story. It was written by Japanese people. It was animated by Japanese people in Japan. And uh, the short answer to it is now it's not. <laughs> yes, it's st now, st now starring noted Jewish person Scarlett Johansson. Uh huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's Jewish. 
Really? Yeah. Part Scandinavian, part, uh, I think oh. it's uh, Ashkenazi Jew. Yep. I thought you just decided because you like her. <laughs> well, yeah, but... We're also going to have no. a little drinking game for next week's movie, so you can join us. Uh, every time somebody says the title of the film in the film... Ghost in the Shell, you can take uh-huh. a drink. So come get drunk with us next week as we try to stamp okay. out racism in Hollywood. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.